My guest today on Mission Impact is Anne Hilp. Anne is a community and culture architect, an expert at conflict resolution, and a champion of restorative and racial justice practices. Anne and I talk about why so often people wait too long to deal with a conflict or have someone help out to mediate. Why a first step to resolving a conflict is to define what the conflict is actually about and whether the parties are even in agreement about that. Why organizational culture is dictated by the worst behavior we allow. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. So welcome, Anne. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start each uh, conversation with the question of what drew you to the work that you do? What motivates you and what would you describe as your why? Yeah, so I would say, uh, you know, I was drawn into this work from a lot of different points of entry. I think, uh, you know, my own experience of belonging, um, or not belonging in probably more cases. Um, and, you know, wanting to promote healthy dialogue and use my skill set to create safe environments for folks um, is really my why. Um, because in a lot of ways, I didn't feel like I saw that. And in a lot of ways, I also feel like um, or experience that rather. And in a lot of ways, I just feel like it's the best use of the gifts that I uh, have from childhood and also from, um, you know, developing those through educational experiences, life experiences. So you often work with groups where there's um, a lot of conflict going on. Can, can you set the stage of what that might look like or kind of a typical scenario that you might be walking into? Sure. Um, there's a couple different sort of groupings of those scenarios. And so conflict work is definitely my area of expertise, but I do, I do a, a lot of different work. Uh, but in the conflict realm in particular, I'd say there's a couple buckets. So it's usually an incident, an incident of, of harm. Most often sexual harm, I would say, is what I get called into, oftentimes racial or sexual, but usually sexual harm these days. Um, two founders fighting or two or more founders fighting or um, Senior, the senior level leaders and the mid-level leaders fighting or having some big incident or just in general poor culture or the senior level leaders or the leader not not doing well with the rest of the organization. So again, those are sort of the three buckets. I'll give a more like specific one example. So um, let's say that the founders are not doing well um, and they call me in because they, for whatever reason, have reached a point of no return and they're 
kind of deciding how can we continue, right? Like, do we shut down? Do we buy each other out? Um, It's just, it's no longer sustainable. Now it's affecting their home lives. Um, It's really, really affecting their employees because they're screaming at each other or Maybe they have decided to take a temporary close if they're a a business that's a a product business um, or like a restaurant or something. Um, So they call me and depending upon the service, right, because I offer different ones, they might need a mediation. They might need to come in and consult. Um, They might need me to come in and do a circle for them. Um, And so I'll come in and I'll work with them uh, to to work through what's going on. And for those mediations, what what are some of the steps that you typically take to kind of, I don't know, bring the temperature down, I guess? Yeah, so if it's a mediation, right, I'm gonna do pre-work and talk to everyone first uh, to find out what's going on the same way you would in in any um, of the work that we do Uh, and find out what success looks like ultimately and really find out what the different perspectives are because one person might be thinking something's totally different than what the other person is and they might be experiencing it totally differently and also what's really bothering the one person might be completely different than the main thing that the other person wants to tackle is and so one of the main things in conflict that's really important is to land on what the conflict is about um so you know you can all be working on the same thing at the same time yeah it's interesting i was on a board where um we we had a conflict between the two leaders of the staff leaders of the organization and happened to also be a, a faith community where um and they they went to mediation a number of times and by the time it got to us as the board once we you know, heard kind of, you know, both sides of the story, if you will, it was almost, we couldn't find that common ground of, of, uh, you know, figuring out kind of the kernel or each person saw the situation so differently and described it so differently. It was as if they were in different countries, speaking different languages on different planets. It was, you know, so it, it wasn't one where, where we ended up, uh, the, the folks ended up staying ultimately over time, but, um, you know, or one where we could find uh, kind of any good resolution. I felt like in that situation, we only had bad choices to make, but that was just interesting to just hear. They're so far apart in terms of how they're seeing this situation. It was really hard to find that common folks ground. wait. And, um, you know, it's anything where we talk about preventative work, right? Like we, I mean, I just... Last week I had computer, a, a new computer installed, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm talking to my tech person. I'm saying like, is this really necessary? Like I, my computer works fine right now. And we're installing like the, you know, virus software on my new computer. And I, cause I bought a new computer, right? And, and I'm like, but you know, this seems like a really expensive thing to invest in. And I know of course that I need to do that, but because I can't see it, it doesn't feel like it's necessary yet. But it, but I know that just because you can't see uh, the embers of a fire that's burning in the wall doesn't mean that it's not possible to have a fire burning low and people wait until the flames are bursting through the wall to take care of it. And I think that's, that's the, the issue sometimes with something like conflict is people wait until the whole building is on fire. And another another um, 
situation that you described or one where there is sexual harm, I'm assuming kind of sexual harassment or racial harm, um, what kind of steps would you take uh, in entering um, a, you know, an organization where that type of thing has been going on perhaps for a while or you know, perhaps as part of the culture? I mean, certainly we're seeing a lot of that in the news yeah, these days, um, um, but I'm curious how you with finesse. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I think I would say I, I approach every conversation and, and every client by asking a lot of questions. Right. Um, so with sexual harm or racial harm, um, but I'll start with sexual harm. I think um, I try and find out more about the feelings and the facts um, more than anything. Right. I mean, the facts are important and it's it's important to find out more about first, like what happened here and it's usually more about what's residual than it is about what happened in the first place um because first and foremost when i'm coming in unfortunately it's usually after things have burned um ideally folks would bring me in before that has happened uh to support a healthy culture and unfortunately i usually get called in after the fact so when that happens, I'm coming in and I'm uh, working usually with HR and the founders or the CEO. Um, and typically when it's sexual harm, it, it happens to be more of the women in the workplace and there's been someone who's caused harm. So we will uh, group group people into like, you know, what assess, okay, what kind of harm do you think has occurred and um, try and do some understanding of, you know, what's happening to those who feel that they have been harmed. So oftentimes in organizations, there's a lack of understanding around sexism and toxic masculinity. So how do you group folks up so that they can speak in a way the same way that when you do white caucusing and um and caucuses for people of color and give them a, a safe space to talk about the culture of the organization right sometimes the harm has occurred in a different way where maybe um the culture is such that it feels out of alignment right so conflict is a clash of of ideas and it's also to me when there's a lack of alignment. So in organization development speak, right, a lack of alignment leads to to difficulties, right? It, it, if there's misunderstanding or miscommunication, we know that something in the organization has gone amiss. And that means that we're saying that we have these values, we have these espoused values, and we're not practicing those values in action. And that's going to lead to conflict because we're saying one thing and we're doing another. We're hanging up values on the wall and we're running around and living these other values or we're on Zoom and we're, you know, saying something or doing something that we can get away with because People don't know how to call us out on it in a virtual room the same way that we can leave with our physical bodies. Folks don't know, oh, I can leave this virtual space in the same way because a lot of it is new. And so um, when that happens in a place where there's harm created with sexual violence, like let's say a leader 
creates an instance of sexual harassment and they're covered by the firm's lawyer. And now the leader leaves or gets pushed out, but the firm's lawyer is still there, which I've had this incident happen many times. And then there's all this animosity towards the lawyer because he's doing his job and also folks feel like, well, why are they still here once that all comes to light? So then you have this schism in what the firm says they stand for, especially if they're an organization that, say, supports a women's issue, right? So how do you then look at moving over the the lack of alignment in a way that you haven't technically broken policy, but you have broken the the values or the espoused values of the organization. So so that's an instance where you're going to have to work with folks in a way that gives them voice and goes back to the foundation of what do we stand for, what's our mission, and how do our policies, our processes, um, and what we say we want to do line up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I heard, an, um, I'm not, I'm gonna have to look up who it was that said this because I, I I heard this person at a conference, but they talked about how um, they saw things like sexual har- harassment as a as a symptom of an unhealthy culture rather than um, you know a, a, a central. I don't know. It was just interesting to me. Um, I don't know if they, you know, I I don't want to put a kind of bigger and lower kind of thing, but it was interesting to me how they talked about it as, you know, that's kind of the worst manifestation or some of the worst manifestations of a really unhealthy culture. But what's underneath it is that that culture. Um, I'm curious to to know your perspective. I think it's an and also. I think um, I think that culture is dictated by the worst behavior we allow. So so when we when Mm. we see one person, you know, I heard on a podcast the analogy of this that in society, when we allow someone to litter, right, like, and we don't call it in, then all of a sudden society becomes full of trash, right? Like, it's very quick. I mean, like, I leave a piece of trash in my car one day. This happens to me all the time, right? If I take my piece of trash with me when I leave my vehicle, then I'm pretty good about continuing that behavior. But as soon as I leave a water bottle after I go golfing in my car, you can be sure that I have five water bottles in my car, right? So very quickly that that behavior continues. And so as soon as we allow any bad behavior to occur, then many bad behaviors accrue. And as soon as we disallow a bad behavior and we say, no, that, we don't have that here. Others are witness to that and they realize, oh, we don't allow that here, right? And so I really think with your question about sexual harassment, right? Like if you nip it in the bud, then people know what the expectation is. And I think that there's a lot of debates about, uh, you know, hiring for culture and all of these things. Um, and sexual harassment is one that's probably, and sexual harm is probably one that's very complex and nuanced to get into because I think a person who will do something like that, there's a lot of complexities with that person. Uh, and we could get into all of those things. And at the same time, the, the cultural component of that is as soon as something that's inappropriate happens, it's absolutely imperative to say we do not 
allow that here. There's there's not going to be tolerance for that. That being said, there's a very big component of how do we handle harm in this culture, right? So condemning the deed and not the person and separating those, separating those things out. And the way that you handle um, a, a bad act versus a, a bad actor is also going to be something that's important and says a lot about your culture. And when someone's caused harm, um, you know, one of the things that folks want often is an apology. Um, and we've seen, I, again, I think in the news instances of really poor apologies, what would you say goes into making a, a good apology that yeah, could actually move question. towards think, some um, resolution? A good apology has three parts. Um, you know, a good apology says, you know, I'm sorry. Um, I take responsibility for that. And here's what I'm going to do going forward. And here's what I essentially like learned from it and how I'm going to use this as a learning example. Um, most people tend to miss one part of the apology or when they say I'm sorry, there's lots of different ways to say I'm sorry. Like I'm sorry you feel that way is putting the responsibility back on the person or, you know, I'm sorry, but or I'm sorry and here's what was happening, like, and trying to excuse the behavior or defend it, you know, um, and there's, so I, I, I won't go on, I'll just, that, that's the answer to your question. Yeah, I love it because I think, yeah, any any one of those missing is so easy, right? Um, you can be in a conversation like, were you trying to say you're sorry? Did you actually right. say right. those words? And then, like going forward and then kind of backtracking. Um, but yeah, so... I'm sorry, plus the, plus the um, you know, taking responsibility, but I appreciate the third one, which is, you know, what have I learned about it and what, how will I yeah. do things and differently And that is, moving I will say from experience, incredibly yeah. hard to do when you don't feel as much remorse in the moment as you might want to. Like, I apologize this week. I was on vacation with my family. I, I apologized to my sister for something, and it was incredibly hard for me to do that part when I didn't feel, when I felt some frustration towards my sister in the moment um, because I didn't want to say that part right then. And so there's a lot of timing involved in apologies, I would say, as well. And in a workplace scenario, um, sometimes if you are, if there's pressure on you to apologize because of the HR aspect or the um, public relations aspect or whatever is going on, you can really make things worse um, if the person is put under duress to apologize. And it's interesting. I th I'm thinking of the timing and kind of, you know, it, it takes a little bit, little bit of time and reflection to know what you've learned and how you might act differently in the future. And so, you know, you might manage to get the first part of the apology out and half of the second part, you know, in a first go, and then it might take a little while to come back and be mm -hmm. able to do the do the full thing and kind of, let, let me do, let me do yeah, sorry, yeah. take two. Yeah. Or I did a, a circle yeah. once with, with young children, like kindergarten age, and the parent involved, one of the parents involved was trying to force me to have one of the children apologize. And I said, I'm not going to force an apology because an apology, if it's not genuine, it, it means nothing. And, um, you know, young people are often forced to apologize. And that is something that is ingrained in us as adults that, oh, well, apologize to your sister. And so an apology then comes to mean very little to us as we age, um, as, as do many things that are wrote. So 
we say a lot of things and we lose their meaning. Like think about when you bump into someone in the grocery store, oh, I'm sorry, right? And so many of these things that are meant to have a great bit of meaning lose their meaning when we do them out of, um, you know, learned behavior. Yeah, and one one thing you I wanted to follow up on that you talked about before was kind of the instance of, well, perhaps there wasn't, you know, the incident didn't quite cross the line in terms of a policy, but there's still a ripple effect in terms of how lack of trust or, or kind of diminished trust or how people are working with each other. Um, how, how, what are some steps yeah. to, to kind of deal um, with those ripple effects? I would say, effects? so clarifying role, I think is always a good um, first step in, in a lot of these interventions, right? Um, and helping folks understand what everyone's role in the organization is to play. Sometimes people aren't going to like that. And it's important to acknowledge that individuals can hold their own feelings and those are important. And also that conflicting feelings can hold without creating a conflict um, that presents a fight. So a conflict and a fight are different. Um, and it doesn't need to rise to the level of tension that it did the first time every time. Um, then I might say um, that, you know, when you bring in someone who does what I do, they can help you to understand that not everyone is privy to information every time, while at the same time sharing information is helpful. Um, and the more information you share, the better, while at the same time that information is not um, always going to be, going to mean that everything is an open book for everyone, right? There are different ways to be transparent as leaders. And I think leaders think because something's confidential, that means they can't share information. So I think there are ways to say this is what's going on without sharing the the details of it also. So you can say we are doing X, Y, and Z and not say the specifics of X, Y, and Z. And then the employees that are not getting the specific details need to also understand that what was shared is enough and the building of trust can happen in better ways by sharing information transparently but the expectation of transparency also needs to shift and i think that those are the nuances um, of shifting culture that happen slowly and also uh, break down that distrust that happens when something like sexual violence in a, in a community um, does occur. Yeah, I feel like transparency is one of those big words, kind of like communication. Well, if we could just solve our communication issues, you know, if we could just be transparent, everything would be fine. But um, yeah, I think, and I do think that people kind of see it in an all or nothing yeah. kind of context. So it's interesting that you're saying it's more of a Yeah, continuum. absolutely. And I do think that, that folks need better language around breaking down what their expectations are and the way to ask for what they need and the way to offer it and when I say asking for what you need I'm also aware that those who would be doing the asking have much less power in the organization so the the folks with formal power and titles need to really 
understand the the power over that they have and and take ownership over that the understanding of that power because i think oftentimes we are a manager or in the c-suite or even just have informal formal power in that we are positioned to take power in a manager position purely because of the type of role that we have because it's a more formal desk job and it can roll into a manager position or because we um you know have um, privilege um and we we tend not to recognize that and so working on that understanding in an organization or just as an individual is really important in order for these shifts to happen. And you mentioned that you there's a distinction and that that between fighting and a conflict. And for me, you know, I kind of probably use those words yeah. inter, interchangeably. How do you see those so, as different? Like I said, I think conflict is to me a clash of ideas or a lack of alignment. So I see conflict as neutral. I, when I teach a course on conflict, I will say conflict can be positive, negative, or neutral, right? Like it, I can have a conversation with you where we're in conflict because we both are trying to decide where to go to dinner and you want Italian and I want Chinese and we're in conflict, but we're not fighting. And so when we're fighting about it, we're at odds in a way that we're really expending energy that now we're in a duel, so to speak. And so you want Italian and I want Chinese and maybe we leave one another angry and you go to Italian alone and I go to Chinese alone and we don't talk to each other for three days, right? So we are at odds in a way that puts us in a really bad way with one another as opposed to in right relationship. So it's a question of kind of the intensity and emotions getting caught up in it and and uh, I guess in, in that instance each person kind of digging in and then somehow taking personal offense and not wanting to speak to the other person yeah, over and, their and, dinner and these aren't like terms that I've looked up in conflict management that I, this is just the way I'm calling it for this conversation I think I'd have to go look at I mean maybe I know the conflict piece is definitely neutral you know conflict is not inherently a negative thing um I haven't looked up the word fight to see, you know, like I'm, I'm relatively positive this works. Um, but. I mean, it's interesting though, because I think most people, when they hear the word conflict, will, will oh, assume yeah, that it's Oh yeah, definitely. And that's negative. the first thing you'll learn in a con any conflict workshop you take. Every single 
person who teaches the work will write conflict on the board and say, what does the word conflict mean to you? And you'll hear everyone say all these negative words or draw pictures of like dust clouds or fish. And that's like the first teaching of conflict that you'll likely learn in any course. Um, yeah, and I think in our culture, in the kind of U.S., uh, in the dominant white culture, um, yeah, we tend to be very conflict averse and tend to be afraid of all of those all of those pictures that you just mentioned. Um, certainly doesn't mean the conflict doesn't happen, but with that kind of tendency, yeah, how, how does conflict can, then can, show can up? Can like be creepy and that it creeps in, right? I have a workshop called Conflict Creeps. Uh, and to your point, it shows up in very passive aggressive ways oftentimes. Um, and um, I think we often hear the expression elephant in the room because the expectations are not clear, right? So I talked about lack of alignment. I think that that shows up a lot here. Um, and I would say that folks are often not seeing the covert ways that conflict shows up. They only see the overt ways that conflict shows up. So if it's not spelled out for them to your point, like in a fight, they think that everything is okay. And that's one of the reasons why I think that right now is such a moment because I do believe that most people think right now conflict and tension is so high because they think think particularly white white folks are thinking that the workplace feels and the world or the, the US uh, I'm talking about US centric right now that their world I should say feels like an unsafe place to them because everything is a quote unquote fight and actually I think there's a huge opportunity here because if they get it right and have constructive dialogue in a really open way I think it can actually lead to less harm and less conflict than we were having before. I just think that white people were missing it because it was going on in a lot of ways without their knowledge. Yes, yeah. kind of underneath the surface and covert or yeah, those kind of embers in the wall as you talked about before. Yeah. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. So at the end of each episode, I like to ask a, um, an, an, I play a question where I ask a random icebreaker question. And so um, <clears throat> what is one family tradition that you would like to carry on to the My future? The first thing that comes to mind for whatever reason is that uh, my parents gave us contracts on our, um, when we learned to drive, uh, like legit contracts, driving contracts made up by a lawyer that we had to sign that had like 10 things on them. I have it framed behind me. Um, and we had to know how serious like this was. And um, I mean, my parents did a lot of weird things. Uh, and I would like to carry that on for my kids so that they know the seriousness of big things. I mean, they did a lot of mile marker, things like that, but I just always thought that was really cool that they took that so seriously and imparted that on us. That, and I just remember the line that said, you know, driving is a privilege and, and a responsibility 
and not a right. And if any of the following are not followed, then this privilege shall be revoked. And, you know, I just think that was really cool. That's awesome that, uh, you know, that's certainly getting really clear about expectations and communicating them very directly. Yeah, I I did some contracts with my daughter at various points along the way. She would remember better than I exactly what they were about. Um, But we we did sign them. There were no lawyers involved. We had a lot of friends that were lawyers. Okay, yeah. Um, I think getting things down on paper and and, uh, having it clear... Um, can really can really help uh, lawyers get a get a bad rap, but in that way of just making it all clear of what what yeah. each party is expecting and uh, is really important. Well, th- um, what are you excited about? Kind of what's coming up yeah. next for you? Um, what's emerging in the I'm work really that you're doing? I'm really looking forward to um, a community that I'm advertising for right now. Uh, there are some amazing women signing up called. Um, confidence community. This particular one is for white women utilizing DEI in their work. And if you're interested, people are registering now. It's going to be amazing. I've been utilizing circle practices in my work for a a long time. So really, really looking forward to sharing that with more women identifying folks. And um, Baltimore, I live in Baltimore City and we are working to be the first Equitech city. And uh, there is an amazing entrepreneur community, tech community in Baltimore. And they have um, this incredible group of folks building out this Equitech space. And uh, Techstars is like the VC engine behind it right now. And I'm just really, really excited to be a part of what's happening with- And can you define that that term? Equitech. So the idea is that it's equity meets technology. And they're working to put equity at the center of the, the tech work in Baltimore so that rather than just doing diversity, equity, and inclusion in technology work in Baltimore. They are trying to make it the first like full equity city. And they're trying to be really thoughtful about how they are disrupting that work, how they are thinking about the entrepreneurs that are already here. Um, Baltimore is a huge hub because of Hopkins in the biotech sphere. Um, the same way that Silicon Valley is for chips. So really looking at how they can draw folks here as there's a new opportunity in the tech space because of everything that's been disrupted um, because of COVID and everyone moving around again. And um, it's just a really exciting time to see like where folks are going to land. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great having you on. I appreciated how Anne described the impact of an instance of sexual or racial harm that even when technically a policy or a law has not been broken, the trust within the team or organization may be broken. There's still a ripple effect in that organization. Morale is impacted and trust probably needs to be repaired. And a part of this I thought was interesting was how she described the residual feelings about those who were involved in managing the issue, whether it's the lawyer or the HR professional or other organizational leaders. While the offender may be gone, trust in those who remain is likely much lower than before. 
And it's going to take a process of healing to move through the remaining feelings about what happened. I was struck by Dan's comment that organizational culture is dictated by the worst behavior we allow. What behavior are you allowing to slide in your organization that may be eroding the trust within your team and eroding your organizational culture? Thanks for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Anne, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I'd like to thank Nora Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Custer for her production support. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. Thanks for listening.